want to introduce myself. My name is Shannon DeVito. I am an actor and filmmaker and writer, and I'm really excited to be hosting this panel. I would like to welcome Shana Garaya and um, Peter Renzula. Hi. How are you going? How are you? Good. Uh, great. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, uh, if you guys wouldn't mind uh, introducing yourselves, that'd be great. Why don't we start uh, with Shana? Hey everyone, my name is Shayna and I am a recent graduate of USC's MFA program in film and TV production. And my passion is telling stories that embrace diversity and explore intersectionality. Awesome, thank you so much. Uh, Peter? Yes, how are you going? I'm a, uh, a new filmmaker actually. I only started this in 2017. Um, traditionally, I'm an audio engineer. Um, I've done some composition for some other films, but actually venturing into making my own films is only quite recent. So it's uh, it's all brand new territory for me, but it's awesome fun, and I'm I'm just I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> is that the truth? Um, and Peter uh, is actually joining us from Australia, from Perth, Australia, right? I am. Yes, that's right. It's uh, it's uh, two a.m. at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's why you look like you're in a cave. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing. Um, all right, great. So uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, gear and kind of things that will make uh, behind the camera a little bit more accessible for disabled filmmakers um, to just really kind of figure out what's right for them so that the, it, the, you know, we always talk about being in front of the camera, but I think inclusion behind the camera is just as important, if not more important. And um, I, I'm really excited to dive in. So. Um, what I'd like to do first is um, I would love to kind of ask you guys what your setups look like on on set and just talk about a little bit, um, if you don't mind, you don't have to, um, but if uh, about your limitations and kind of things, that, ways that you adapt um, with your with your work. Uh, Peter, why don't we start with you? Sure, that's fine, yeah. Um, well, with, with me particularly, it's been interesting because I, um, I'm actually legally blind. I've got 3% central vision, which is my focus vision and color perception and everything, that's gone. So I'm actually relying on my rods in my retina. Um, so I entirely rely on the focus peaking function of my camera. Um, and I shot my entire feature film, the first one, on my uh, Blackmagic production 4K camera. It was actually the first adventure into an actual video camera as opposed to a DSLR. Um, and I was amazed with how easy it was to see what was going on. Uh, well, I say that to see the focus peaking. I couldn't see the actual image itself. I could just see when it lit up, it was in focus. Um, so that was how I sort of really had to use that to rely on getting everything in focus that I had. And, um, and surprisingly, like it's a 112 minute film, yet people said there was no real issue with the focus. So I was really impressed with how it came across and it worked. The, the, the technology just made it that much easier. So surprisingly, the lower the light, the easier I can see because the rods kick in with low lighting. So my film, a lot of it's shot in the dark, in dark sort of scenarios, uh, similar to where I am right now. <laughs> so um, I found that using that focus peaking was awesome because the image stayed nice and contrasted, quite dark, and I had this nice bright sort of outline that I could use. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't see a thing what's going on on that screen. So it was a lifesaver. Oh, that's amazing. Uh <laughs> That's so interesting. I, I had no idea that that would even be a like low yeah. light versus. Well, that's, so, it's, that's it's, so amazing. It's counterintuitive. You think that if you're blind, it means you can't get as much light into your eye. But for me, the yeah. less, the better. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's the same thing when they think that if you uh, 
for people who are deaf, if you just talk really, really loud at them, that uh, yeah, that's I suppose so. Yeah, like, no, that's not okay. Um, uh, Shana, why don't you talk about your your experience? Yeah, so um, I have spinal muscular atrophy, which basically means I'm pretty weak. Um, I can lift about two pounds, and initially, this kind of made me scared about going into filmmaking um, because at the college level in particular, you kind of have to do all the roles. Um, including cinematography, and that was the one role that I was the most scared of. Um, I bought a mirrorless camera like six years ago now, um, and those were particularly good for me because they were very light, um, and they were easy to just like do run and gun filmmaking type of thing. Um, but what I realized after coming to USC is that I can actually handle the bigger cameras like Blackmagic because they have that top handle, um, and so it, that was kind of a mind blowing thing for me when I realized that it just depended on like how I, how the weight was proportioned and how I could lift it. Um, and so how my filmmaking setup typically looks, um, when I'm by myself, I usually balance a camera on my lap, um, or one of my handlebars. And, uh, one time my friend got really creative and she knew I'd be filming by myself. So she taped an LED light to my wheelchair. So basically wherever I went, the light went. And um, the light had a remote on it so I could control the settings. Um, and I have to, again, give a shout out to USC because I couldn't do, they require you to do um, a cinematography role. And they basically let me use these really fancy lightweight LED lights because they knew my limitations. Um, and that was an eye opener for me as well. Like, oh, I can do lighting. I just need the proper lights. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the the key here, right? Is to just kind of figure out the best way that that will allow you to work. And I think that that moves us into the first thing I'd really love to talk about is like cameras, right? Because I feel like that's that's the big one. Um, you know, and you you kind of touched on it a little bit. I I have the same problem where I can't really lift anything very heavy, and so um, filming has always been very scary. Uh, you know, using your iPhone is uh, great, but um, it looks like you're using an iPhone. Um, so I know you guys have touched a little bit on on using the Black Magic cameras, um, which are amazing. I mean, not that we're plugging. Black Magic here because it's on Black Magic Collective, but like their cameras truly are small and and light and are so incredibly just full of depth and um, they're amazing cameras um, and I could not talk about them enough. Um, but um, from your experience, I mean, I guess even more so like than just those kind of cameras. Have you ever worked on the bigger cameras like the ones that you see on like film sets and things like that? Um, or TV sets even, um, and, and what kind of, what would it take for you guys to be able to, to use those? Whoever wants to go first. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, well, what I found um, during the production of my first feature film was using the production 4K camera, sort of a square shape, little tiny one, very easy to move around. You can, you can still hold it by hand and almost get away with using a typical gimbal. But I have since upgraded to the, the Ursa Mini Pro G2. So it's a, it's a bigger camera um, and it's harder to just handle by hand, but it's still compact and, and 
very stupidly good. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't know how they fit it all in there. The um the technology is just in insane. It's so good. I just find it very user friendly as well. And when you look at the outside of it, it's sort of daunting the amount of buttons and stuff. But it's actually really when you get used to it, give it a, give it a day or two, you just get your head around that really easily. Um, so I've never used anything like a an Ari or or, or a Red, but I don't think I. I really, I don't know. I have no desire to at the moment. I just find so much I can do with this thing. And um, because I know the brand so well and I know that the, the the camera so well, this new Ursa, I just find it's just, it's like it's like an extension of my own body, really. It's so, so cool. And I, I don't really fancy trying to have to learn a whole new system um, when the image is so good anyway. It's up there with them. If you had a blind test, so to speak, <laughs> between an Ursa and a, and a, a red and, and a Ari, I don't think you'd find much of a difference. So for me, there's no real, and you'd have to add a zero to the cost if you want to get an Ari equivalent. So for me, I'm happy to stay with where I am and it's good. Um, so Peter, uh, could you just name the camera again that you said, or could you type it in the chat? Um, oh, sorry, yes. For everybody oh, that, so that they know um, the, the name I'll of find the that chat function. Yeah, so sorry, I'll, I'll say it as well. It's the URSA Mini Pro G2. That's the, the model. Here, I'll put it here. Thank, thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And you said you used it on like a gimbal? Oh, not that one. I used my oh, production okay. camera, but this one here is a bit too big for a gimbal. Um, but this one, yeah, but even so, you can still handle it by hand with the top handle. It's not too bad. But it's um yeah it's just amazing compared to other cameras this thing is so lightweight and it's just a beast thing. Mm. And then do you does it have the um the focus feature that you were talking about yes. before? And in this in this model you can change the color of the focus peaking. So in my previous one it would light up a harsh uh, fluorescent green. But this one here you can change it to whatever color you want red, blue, or yellow, whatever you want. So it's really useful for that as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um and um. So, Sheena, uh, what about what about you? Um, other cameras you've worked yeah. on? I know you talked about your Blackmagic uh, and uh, your mirrorless. Which mirrorless did you talk about? I have one to show everybody um, that Sigma sent me. Um, but what did you say? Yeah, it was a Sony mirrorless. I forget the exact model number. It was one of the six um, years ago. Six years Probably ago, you know. Ago. Um, but no, I've. I've had the privilege of being able to work on like Reds and Aries. Um, and I think the best part about that is the crews that I was working with worked with my limitations. So basically on that one day that I was working with a Red, um, I had a camera operator. So I was the DP, but I still had a camera operator who would basically listen to me direct them, bless their heart. Um, and so I was still doing the work in a sense i just wasn't doing any of the physical work and so again it's like who do you surround yourself with who's your team and are they going to be okay with doing things a little bit differently um and i i think when you have a team like that that's flexible and creative it just makes the film more creative in and of itself um but i too like peter love the black magic mini um ursa and one thing that I like about it, one is I, I didn't think the weight could be beneficial, um, but because it is so weighted, it doesn't shake as much when I put it on my lap um, or on my armrest. And one of the funny things is one of the days my friends and I were trying to shoot something and they needed a wheelchair for it. 
you know how people like rent out wheelchairs, right? Yeah. To put someone in it, to put the camera on. And they couldn't rent one. And I was like, guys, we can just use me. <laughs> and we ended up using me and sticking it on my lap and it worked and it wasn't like any, it wasn't more shaky. It wasn't less shaky. It was just, you know, perfect. Um, and so, yeah, I do love that. And then it also has a shoulder mount, the Black Magic. Um, and that surprisingly I could do, but I, I can't move when it's mounted to my shoulder. When I use the shoulder mount, Most but I can can't. hold it. Exactly. Um, and so that was surprising to me too. And what I do want to mention is with a lot of the lightweight cameras, like the mirrorless, even though I loved it and it did get me through my first couple films, um, what I disliked about a lot of the lightweight cameras that I've come across is that they don't have enough grip. Mm. And I think that's really important. Like when you have someone with limited strength, not only do you need something light, but you need something that you can latch onto. So something with handles. And that's why that top handle for me on the Ursa is so important. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so this is the, the Sigma mirrorless camera that they just put out. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so light and it's great. Um, and it does have like, it has this like grip that you can attach to the side. So mm -hmm. like, I know for me, it's like, it definitely does help. So you're totally right. I think if this was just the body without this grip, it would be very awkward yeah. to hold. Cause like, you, like, I mean, I have SMA too. So like that, my fingers would just be like, wait, what's happening? Um, so like, it is very helpful to have this like side grip. So that's, that's a, that's a technique and, um, tool that I think a lot of people don't realize. Mm -hmm. Um, that would just, I mean, like what you were saying is that if you can balance the weight in a certain way, you would, your options become almost limitless because you're, you know, it's not necessarily about the physical thing that's heavy. It's the way it's shaped or the way it's um, balanced, I guess. That's not the right word. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that's a really good, that's a really good tip that maybe finding the right grip will help you just be able to hold it easier. Um, one other thing I had a question about, um, do you guys use external monitors? Does that make it easier for you? Well, for me, actually, I recently shot the trailer to my next film um, that was using it as a pitch to make the, get the funding to make the full film. And um, a guy had a, um, a laptop, 15-inch screen, and plugged it in, and, and we used that as an external monitor. Um, and it was amazing. What a difference. Was my, my whole feature film, I didn't have that. I just had the little tiny four-inch LCD screen. Okay. Suddenly, I had this 15-inch thing. It was amazing. It, it, it was, it was um, I mean, I know it's such a simple thing, but it was like revolutionary. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. So, um, so I've actually, I've, I've recently ordered a, a little seven-inch uh, external monitor that I'll, I'll mount to the top of the Ursa. Because it it's amazing what a difference it makes. I don't know if it's the same for every filmmaker, but because me particularly, I need that extra size. It just... Is it a game changer? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I find external monitors are a lifesaver for me on one of my first shoots. I didn't have it. And again, my friends like bless their hearts. Um, they, when I was directing, they would like take pictures on their phone of what the frame looked like mm -hmm. and show it to me. But then again, you don't get the color because the color is distorted so it doesn't quite work out as well then they got a mirror 
and they like held the mirror up. <laughs> um, so we just got creative, but like that was back in the day, you know, when we were just students. Um, but now I do think investing in a good monitor is really important, especially if you are going to be, if you are a disabled filmmaker who is also directing, um, you need that because a lot of the locations that you're going to be in, you're going to need to put the camera into tight areas to get what you want. Um, and you don't want to have to compromise the shot because you either can't see it or you want to put it in a different place so you can see it. Yeah. Um, so getting that monitor is really important. And do you have certain monitors that you that you particularly use? I know you said, Peter, you said you used a, a, just a laptop. Yeah, um, cool. my friend had an iMac, just used that. Uh, and it, yeah, crazy. So, um, but I'm going to carry ordered. around an iMac. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if it was actually iMac. I'm not a Mac user, so it must whatever oh, the, okay. uh, the equivalent is for a laptop. Okay, <laughs> it, was, it was a Mac laptop. Um, and yeah, but it, yeah, I just but as far as my monitor is going, I'm I'm getting the small HD uh, Focus Seven. That, that, that's the brand, and um, okay. and, and, and yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. I've heard good reviews for it, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, we, we didn't, um, so again, student budget. Um, my brother had like an old gaming computer with like a 20 inch monitor um, that he no longer used. So he kindly donated that and we just plugged it in and used that. That's awesome. You yeah. can use what you got, right? Exactly. Um, do you know of any, are there monitors, and I apologize that I don't know this, um, that are wireless that you can, um, have the camera literally anywhere and then you could put the monitor in your lap not that i'm aware of but i'm sure there's a i'm sure there's a a, a wireless system that you can plug monitors into so maybe the monitor itself may not be wireless but yeah um, there's a, i'm sure there's some sort of cabling that has uh been, been invented <laughs> for that sort of purpose yeah yeah i'm not uh, aware of one either but that would be amazing and someone mm -hmm. should make that if it's not already made well, there you go, everyone. We just came up with a million dollar idea. Send your money to me. Um, uh, great. Um, cool. So uh, we talked a little bit about lighting um, earlier, where you, you were saying that you put LED lights on your chair, which is so brilliant on so many levels. Um, and then, Peter, I, I'd love to hear, too, your kind of how your lighting setup works knowing your limitations of um, being able to kind of, I know you like it darker, um, but uh, kind of what, what, how do you know, how do you know what your shot um, needs to have lit the right way in order for you to get the product that you want? Yeah, well, it's, it's the way I sort of, I approach my lighting, I have, um, I have three tungsten Fresnels and they're hot, <laughs> but they, they, the way they throw light around is I'll be, I'll use them in a way that would provide a lot of contrast on the character. So, um, I, yeah, I tended to, so my first film was quite contrasty. So there's quite a lot of darks and a lot of lights. So having that obvious like, backlight as well on the, on the um, character. So I see a little bit of halo on them. Um, but having a bit of a half, a bit of a half moon look to their face. So one side lit up, one side not, similar to this, I suppose. Um, I found that was very useful and I managed to work out roughly the shapes um, just from the shadows that actually helped me work out what the shapes were. So uh, high contrast for me and a backlight which provided a bit of a halo. Um, I was still using the focus peaking as my general focusing but just to work out the shapes of things that helped a lot. So I found a lot of my shots were very heavy in that sort of feel. Oh that's great. Yeah, um, again LED lights I love them they're lifesavers. Um, 
but what I really like are those ring lights that you can buy that people use for their YouTube channels. I was so impressed with how much light they give um, and how good they can look if they're placed in the right spot. Um, and those are also very lightweight. If you invest in like three or four of those, you know, and you do have some natural light coming into the room, you can get a really nice looking setup. Um, and yeah, I mean, just again, get creative with the lights. I know initially when I didn't have any lights at my disposal, I would go to locations that did have good lighting. Um, so it's yeah. doing that yeah, and working within your means. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, outside is uh, always the, the key to fixing your lighting issues. Um, <laughs> um, and what about sound? Do you guys ever work with setting up sound? Um, I know, obviously, in school, you had to. Um, I, I mean, again, the, the key to some of this is like just surrounding yourself with the right people who are very good at what they do. Um, but like, let's say someone wants to get, go into sound. How, how, what would your... Um, what would you tell them to do? Well, see, I guess my situation is sort of unique because I'm a, a sound designer by trade and I'm an audio oh, engineer by great. trade. So it helped, it helped having that background already. <laughs> um, so um, before I even looked into filmmaking, I was actually a composer for a couple of films here in Perth. Um, and also I, and I've been a boom operator and, and I'm, I did all the sound design and music for my own film. So for me, it's sort of a hard one because I've done it all myself. And um, But I did find, I guess technique-wise, I found that uh, recording the sound of just the set or location with no one talking, no one around, and just getting the ambience of it was very useful because I found nine times out of 10 between takes, there'd be like a gust of wind during one person's take and then nothing for the other. So when you cut them together, one's got wind behind them, one hasn't. So if you have the ambience of the, of the area just as it is, then you can put that into it, into it, into the background to make it fill out the parts that need to be in some that don't. Um, so I, I just found capturing the environment for the Foley background was very useful. Um, and I just used the boom mic for everything. I haven't really used lapels yet, um, mainly because of budget. I just can't afford them. <laughs> but um, I did find that a boom mic was a very useful thing, obviously with the massive windshield for outdoors. Um, and, and just making sure you can get it as close as possible to the, to the person speaking and, um, and just making sure that it's as clear as possible and making sure that it's recording. Sometimes there were moments where I'd press the button thinking it was recording, but it was already recording, so I stopped it and then I took a take. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun redoing those. Um, <laughs> so just watch, watch, your, watch your meter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I know when I'm on set, I'm always watching the boom people because they get into some positions that I am <laughs> amazed that they're not gymnasts. Um, not <laughs> it's incredible but i know that that's not something that uh physically i would ever be able to do so sheena how did you get around using a boom mic or, or using kind of sound and and how do you what do you what is your technique that's you put me through it all oh my god it was <laughs> yeah, great because it, it wasn't like when i entered you know they were like oh we'll just waive this requirement they were like no no you're going to do it and we are going to help Good. you and that was fantastic for me. I had never been, you know, in a place that was that accommodating before. Um, so basically, um, at some points, we did rest the boom on my wheelchair for a production, um, just because when you're holding it in one position for so long, I was just like, you know, it's just easier, right, for everyone. Um, and so, but most of the time, what would happen is I would have like a person who would come in and be like my boom off, 
but then I would be holding all the settings um, and be like doing the levels and listening to it and making sure it's okay. Um, so in that respect, I did get production sound experience, which was great for me. Um, I'm not a huge fan of sound. I love editing. Um, I respect people so much, Peter. I have so much respect for you who sound because I cannot. Um, but I like sound designing um, is very doable for someone, you know, with my skill set. Um, and also like mixing. Um, that was actually interesting because the mix boards um, are a little bit harder. I couldn't actually reach some of the top knobs. Um, but if you get a mix board that's a little more slanted and not so like, you know, some of them are like this, but if you get one that's like that, then you'll be able to reach all the knobs fine. Um, but yeah, in respect to that, I think you can gain experience in every aspect of filmmaking as long as you're with a good crew who's willing to work with you. Um, but obviously for someone like me, I'm not going to go into boom operating. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? uh... I'm right there with you, my friend. Um, yeah, no. Uh, but you know, you get a service boom mic man and then you like they do your thing for you. Um so just gonna hire hot guys to do it. Um <laughs> my new goal. Uh all right, so uh you kind of touched a little bit on editing, which uh is kind of our last piece of equipment that we haven't touched on. Um so if you guys, um, why don't you guys talk a little bit about what you edit on, or do you have an editor who does the work for you? Or I know Shane is an amazing editor. Um, Peter, what is your, what do you, what does your setup editing wise look like? Um, yeah, I, I edited my, my feature as well and I did it on DaVinci Resolve. So hmm. um, the, I, I could do everything apart from the color grading. So I outsourced that for obvious reasons. But I could, do, I could cut it together. So I cut it together and did everything on that. And I found it a very useful um, platform. I originally uh, had used just some generic, oh, what was it called? It was uh, Cyberlink Power Director, which is just a, a, a consumer level uh, editor. Could not handle raw footage at all. So I had to upgrade to something. And I'd read about DaVinci Resolve and how it was an amazing program. Um, and I just found it so user friendly. It was awesome. It only took about a week to get really my head around it all. But I just, I've, I've in love with it. I still use it now. It's all I use. And it's just, it handles raw footage really well. And it's, um, it's just a very, very straightforward program to use. So that's my go-to all the time. That's great. I feel like we sound like a black magic, uh, <laughs> like ad. We're like, guys, <laughs> have you heard of these programs? Uh, but, they're, but they're great. There's a reason why we sound There's a reason like we use them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, ooh, I'm going to break the mold here. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I personally love Premiere Pro, um, but I go into After Effects a lot when I edit. Um, so that's one of the main reasons. I do love DaVinci. If you ask me in a couple months, I might have moved over to the dark side and might be on <laughs> wagon. Um, but for now, I just, I love learning about all the different editing applications. Like I know Avid, Final Cut. Um, and I think, all of them have something unique to offer to your project. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I think editing for me is so accessible. And I think the reason I gravitated toward it initially as a filmmaker with a disability is because it gave me complete control. It was something I could do completely and I didn't need any assistance in. And that really gave me the confidence to move into the role of director. 
after I had edited it. Um, because I got, editing kind of gives you a bird's eye view of all the rules on production, if that makes sense. Like you hear production sound talking in the background, you'll hear actors talking about people like on the takes beforehand, you know what I mean? Like you, you're a part of the set without actually being on the set, which I think is really hard to do when you are in a wheelchair like I am, you can't be on every set. Um, so it was a way for me to be included and to learn about these things without actually traveling to these places um, and spending like 12 hours at a time on location. <laughs> um, so that's why I love editing. And it really is like a puzzle. Every film is, you know, how are you going to tell this story in the best possible way? Yeah. And I mean, really, a good film can be made or break or, or broken by uh, a bad edit or a good edit. Uh, I know I, I do a lot of comedy and I, you know, if you watch a comedy film and it's not edited well, um, it's not funny. So uh, <laughs> um, editing is very important. And it, it, you're right. It is something that everybody, if you take the time to learn it um, and you really invest your, your knowledge and, and kind of taking the time, it is a very accessible tool. And, and, and it's, um, it's great for someone who with a disability, I think, um, yeah, at least that's my two crappy cents. Um, uh, so um, we have a couple questions and then I have one kind of final thought that um, I wanna kind of throw at you. Um, so Peter, um, do you have some place that people can watch your film? Um, and uh, can you tell us what your, your new one may be about? Yeah, sure. Well, my existing film you can watch on Amazon Prime and also on Vimeo On Demand. And it's called Anticipation. So that's the name of the film. Um, and my newest film is called Skylight Caroline's Tale. And it's set in 1930s. And it's sort of a murder mystery is the most basic sort of um, uh, description of it. But it's a 1930s murder mystery. So it's a lot, a lot more sort of cool costuming and, and props and locations, a bit more VFX for some of the location stuff. So it's uh, going to be a whole new level up from what I experienced during anticipation. And I'll be using the Ursa for this one instead of using the production 4K. So it's going to be a whole, yeah, another level up. So it's really exciting. That's so exciting. Did you write the film? Yep, I wrote both. them both, yeah. That is amazing. That's it's, crazy. It's, it's so fun to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, writing, writing is uh, terrible and wonderful all rolled into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's see what else we got. Um, which gimbal did you use? Uh, they said that finding uh, lightweight ones don't really work very well um, and don't kind of hold the cameras. Um, but is there one for someone, do you know of one for someone who needs um, something a little bit lighter? Ooh, see with my cameras, I well, with my original, the, um, the production 4K, I actually forget what it was called. Um, but it was actually a double-handed one. It wasn't just a single, like a stick one. Like oh, you cool. The like a... I forget what it was called, though. Sorry about that. But yeah, and the USA, I think you've got to wear that Ronin suit. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't got access <laughs> to that. So I'm not sure. I'm the wrong person to ask for the gimbals with these cameras. Oh, they're, just so, they're so heavy. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Which would be awesome to use, but I've never actually used it. So I'm not sure how that would go, unfortunately. Um, Shane, have you ever used any gimbals that you can recommend? Um, I haven't used any gimbals. I just, what my friends and I did when, you know, we had no funding was we put the camera on like a really heavy tripod and I balanced the tripod on my foot pedal. Nice. And like kind of would move it up. It, yeah, it, you know, 
and my wheelchair elevates, so you, you were. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, monopod. I, I had a, like a monopod uh, kind of like shoved into the back of my seat once, yeah. and I just roll around. <laughs> like my own GoPro. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. What other? What kind of? What kind of projects are both of you drawn to? Is there a genre that you are most passionate about? Uh, I'm not sure genre-wise. I'm very um, dialogue. I love dialogue-driven um, content as opposed to visual. Um, like I guess CGI VFX stuff. I guess probably for obvious reasons that I'm I'm more comfortable with the writing and delivery for actors to perform, as opposed to knowing what visually should be happening or you know working out a, a fight scene or working out an action scene. I, I find that more can more I don't know intimidating. I guess, um, but I do love the writing process and then seeing these words come to life with actors and and just, it's really exciting to see that. So I'm really drawn to dialogue driven stuff. Um, so yeah, for me that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I joke, well, so my style is bold, fearless, um, unapologetic, and like really quirky. I like really weird stuff. <laughs> I'm into my favorite, like my favorite thing to create are like dark, twisted comedies. Um, but I love films like Sorry to Bother You and um, In Bruges and even the Lego movie. So I'm mainly drawn <laughs> to comedies, but the darker they are, the more I'm into them. Lego Movie is a very underrated comedy. Uh, it is. It is brilliant. On and, very um, yeah, and also like stories that explore intersectionality. That's like where I'm at. But sure. I like to add in some weird element to it to shape things. Like Legos. Um, uh, we have a low vision question. Um, what programs do you use for script reading? Um, they, this person uses a voice dream reader. Um, which is great for articles and PDFs, but uh, having a robot voice read scripts is pretty awful. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've heard, if you've ever seen some actors. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Everyone <laughs> um, uh, But yes, do you have a program that you use for reading or can you, do you, are you able to do that? Oh, quite literally, I just use Microsoft Word, but I reverse the colors. So it's a black background with white writing. Um, so for me, contrast is what's important. And the the darker the background or the darker the setting, the more my rods can kick in, and they're not as bad as my cones are, which is which need light. So the darker the better. So just a reversed color, Microsoft Word is all I use really. Oh great. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I I I apologize. I don't know uh, the answer to that question, um, but maybe we can look into it and <laughs> put it on. Uh, I'm sure we can put it somewhere. Uh, we'll we'll try to look into that a little bit more for you. Um, but a great question. Um, and then last one, do you, um, do you guys have any pre-production or planning tips to make sure that your sets are accessible for you? For me, less so, because I think, because mobility-wise for me, I'm fine as far as getting around. I've got my peripheral vision okay. So I don't need to be too concerned with access to things um, as opposed to someone who is restricted to a wheelchair. So I'm fortunate in that regard. Um, I guess for, for me, it's more of a, um, a safety issue, I suppose, knowing where there's, like, I suppose, um, like steps or where there's the things that could be obstructive to my feet, especially if I'm holding a camera that's worth more than more than a car. Sometimes it can be really important to know where that step is. So um, for me, it's just it's pretty straightforward. It's just making sure I know where the steps are. Otherwise, I'm pretty easy. 
Yeah, um, so that applies a lot to me. Um, <laughs> I knew going into a film school that I would have a lot of limitations and one of those limitations was gonna be location. Um, I had so many friends who did, who got amazing locations and got to go to these great venues and shoot what they wanted, you know. And I was limited to basically shooting in my apartment or on a soundstage. And at first I was like, okay, how am I going to make this work? But people like, I mean, you've seen, if you haven't seen my work, my production designers and everyone who helped me, they made it look as good as some of these venues that you can spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on renting. Um, and I think when you work within your limitations, you can really make something amazing. So location for me was one, but because I didn't have to think about, oh my gosh, are we going to rent it in Santa Monica? Are we going to rent it here? Because I knew where we were shooting, we could spend a lot more time working that space and making it exactly what we wanted. Um, and I do think like sound stages are really underrated um, for people yeah. with disabilities, for directors with disabilities. They're great. You can go in, you can build what you want. Um, get exactly what you envision. Everything is controlled in terms of lighting. Um, they have great access, right? Um, and then they usually have restrooms on site, which is fantastic for people with, you know, and wheel wheelchair users. Um, so for me, that was really it. It's, I, I don't go into locations that I'm not comfortable being in. I initially did that before I went to USC. And I was like, no more. You know what I mean? I, I can create what I want without putting myself in weird positions yeah. um, or uncomfortable positions. Um, so work with what you have. It does make you more creative. Um, and just location scout. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Well, fun fact, um, everyone has to film in their apartment right now. So than <laughs> <laughs> everyone else. Um, all right, uh, so the last thing I just wanted to touch on is, um, you know, we focus so much on um, seeing, making sure people with disabilities are seen on screen, which as an actor, let's keep doing that. Um, but why do you guys think that it's so important to have representation behind the camera as well? Um, and what would you say to someone who thinks that that world is just beyond their means? Um, Shana, why don't we start with you? Am I repeating the last part of that question, Shannon? Sure. Um, what What would you say to someone? I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit um, in kind of working within your means, but what would you say to someone who thinks that it's very, uh, that world is just beyond anything that they could imagine? So I thought it was beyond anything I could imagine, <laughs> right? I was a political science major, switched to social work switched to English, then I switched to history. I was a mess, right? Um, and it was all in an effort to basically avoid going into filmmaking, which is what I really wanted to do. Um, because I felt like if I did it, I would fail. And then that would crush me, right? Um, so I made myself, I made a decision. Um, I took one film class as an elective. And I said, if I can make a film by the end of this by myself, um, then I would consider going into filmmaking. And that was kind of an unreasonable goal because people don't make films by themselves. Like some people do, but it's a really, it's a team effort. But I did this, I made a documentary, got a GoPro, stuck it to my wheelchair. I still have the mount on my wheelchair, right? I used the audio within it and I made a film. 
right? I did it. I got it out. I made my goal. And I was like, you know, did this by myself. I have to do it now. I have to go through with taking that jump into the filmmaking world. And once I did, I think one of the things that drew me the most to this world is that people are so diverse and they're also so accepting of everyone, if that makes sense. I really found my tribe within the filmmaking community. Um, and so because of that, I built a team of people around me and now I don't need to make films by myself. I have people who are like-minded, um, who can, who have all different kinds of skill sets that they can bring to the table. Um, and so I think that's what's important to know. No matter where you are, if you can't get to LA, I'm in Sacramento right now, okay? I've been in Sacramento for most of my life. I'm not based in LA. And if you can't get out there, find people within your community. Um, Stage 32 is a great website for doing that. It's like a collective database. Um, and there are others online too that they can put you in contact with, uh, with other filmmakers. Um, and then apply to competitions. If you're a writer and you want to get noticed in LA, apply to like the Nicole's Fellowship. Um, apply to Easter Seals. You know what I mean? Like we are so connected because of technology now. So where you are based is not nearly as important as it was 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then why do you think that like, well, Peter, why don't you answer that question first and then we'll talk about why we think uh, having disability behind the screen is, is, or behind the camera is also very, very important. But Peter, what would you say to somebody who thinks that this world is just completely out of their reach? Well, I guess the, the, the biggest trap you can, you can fall into is thinking about it. <laughs> just, just do it. I mean, that, 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 I had a similar story where I just thought, should I do this or not? I should probably just do it and then see if I have done it right or not. And I just started making it. So I started writing the film. I started making it myself. I got a little camera and I just started shooting. If I looked into too much of the technicalities of how to make a film, I probably wouldn't have started because it's too overwhelming, too much information to even think about doing that let alone if you've got a disability on top of that. So the disability was sort of the second, the second um, uh, challenge. The first challenge was knowing how to make a film. So I chose not to look into how to do that properly and just started shooting. Um, so there were days where I'd be starting to write the script and then I'd turn up with a bit of a change on the day for the actors. So I did it very wrong, but it worked. No, well, we love when to... you do that. Well, yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to sometimes just throw yourself in the deep end uh, hope there's water in the first place because sometimes it's not <laughs> and, and just it, it works you make, make it work so for me I just fell in love with the idea of making films and I'd made one so I'd proved to myself and I guess to others that it's it's not really well you know Beethoven made songs he couldn't hear so it, it doesn't mean that whatever you're missing stops you from doing what you really want to do you just find ways around it um, but if you think about it too much you never start so just just do it just act don't um uh, don't think. <laughs> Sorry, probably terrible advice, know. but it worked for me. <laughs> I think that Apple just sued you, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. Um, uh, so, um, so why why do we think you know we're taught we're having all these panels about um, disabled filmmaking, and why why do we think it's so important again to have people behind the camera as well as in front of the camera. I mean, the representation across the board is important, but I think we, we don't really talk about what it, what it means to have people with disabilities represented behind the camera. 
And I think that that's a really important thing to kind of discuss and just touch on a little bit about like why you think that that is a really important thing to talk about. Hmm. I guess um, the, the fact that it is an interesting thing to have a um, person behind the camera who's got a disability is is something that we should try and change just because it should normalize it shouldn't even be a thing that oh well there's a disability that shouldn't even be a factor in it at all um so i guess getting to the point where um it's a normalized thing to have someone behind the camera or on set somewhere or having done something that is typically done um by uh, another group that that have that are able-bodied doesn't really doesn't yeah it, it's i suppose a tough one because if you shine a light on the fact that someone who's disabled is making a film that's a good thing because it's like well look everyone else who has got the same disability look what they can do but at the same time it's like this is a special thing isn't it it shouldn't be special it's just make a film and so i guess until we get to that stage there so it's going to be uh, a tough one it's a gray area i suppose on how to approach it it's good to have the light shine on you so the other ones who are similar can uh, follow in the footsteps or see that they can do it but also that light shouldn't be on you because of the disability. It should be for the work you're doing. So that stage is where we've got to get to, I think. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, for me, it, it was so interesting. I worked with actress Nicole Evans. Um, she's on shows like Good Trouble. She's amazing. She was on Superstore. And when I worked with her for the first time, she was like, you are the first director I've ever had who's had a disability, like who I've ever worked with. Um, And I know she always gets this question, but people always ask her, what is it like working with a director in a wheelchair, you know, who has similar life experiences to her? And one, she's like, well, you know, I trust her more. She trusts me more that I'm going to give an authentic representation of disability and not just some preconceived ableist idea of it. And we also have this kind of shorthand and we can also figure out like, I'll know when it's too much for her, but she won't say it's too much for her because she's such (laughs) a trooper and she'll want to pull through. And I think that's something that's so, that applies to a lot of people with disabilities. We often hide when things are too much and when we need a breather. Um, And so, you know, being on set with her, it really opened up my eyes to how important it is to have people with disabilities behind the camera. Like, I wanted to be a director, but I never thought of it as, like, as how important it would be to have people with disabilities behind it, um, and how that would influence how actors in front of the camera with disabilities would feel and act. But also, like, from an editing standpoint, you know, like, just let us in. We're talented. You know what I mean? Um, And I remember initially when I wanted to go solely into post-production a couple of years ago, um, a lot of the studios weren't wheelchair accessible. Like a lot of their post houses um, and the spaces weren't big enough. So it's like, we do have the talent, we are ready, we are applying, but the issue is that the studios need to be ready for us. They need to literally let us in. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, literally. Um, yeah, and I, you know, and I, I think you touched on it a little bit is, you know, when you have people, behind the camera, you're able to tell a more authentic story and a more authentically represented story mm-hmm. from a disability point of view. If you have a bunch of able-bodied people writing disabled stories, you're going to end up with stuff that I won't mention on here because I don't want to make anyone mad. Um, but you know, I think that you 
just having all of that representation across the board is going to make more inclusive stories and stuff that you know we're ready for everyone's ready to see more inclusive stuff we're tired of seeing a bunch of able-bodied white men run around on screen um although i enjoy it i'm just saying we're ready for more um so I want to thank you guys so, so much for being here. Peter, thank you so much for staying up so late. Thank you very much. Um, it's fine. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited you were here. Uh, Jana, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you to our lovely interpreter for her amazing work. Maggie, thank you so much.